Chapter Fifteen of the Revolt of the Angels. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Revolt of the Angels by Anatole France, translated by Mrs. Wilfred Jackson. Chapter Fifteen, wherein we see young Maurice bewailing the loss of his guardian angel, even in his mistress's arms and wherein we hear the abbe patouille reject as vain and illusory all notions of a new rebellion of the angels fortnight had elapsed since the angel's apparition in the flat for the first time gilbert arrived before maurice at the rendezvous maurice was gloomy gilbert sulky so far as they were concerned nature had resumed her drab monotony they eyed each other languidly and kept glancing towards the angle between the wardrobe with the mirror and the window where recently the pale shade of arcady had taken shape and where now the blue creton of the hangings was the only thing visible without giving him a name it was unnecessary madame des abelles asked have you not seen him since slowly sadly maurice turned his head from right to left and from left to right you look as if you missed him continued madame des abelles but come confess that he gave you a terrible fright and that you were shocked at his unconventionally certainly he was unconventional said maurice without any resentment tell me maurice is it nothing to you now to be with me alone you need an angel to inspire you that is sad for a young man like you maurice appeared not to hear and asked gravely gilbert do you feel that your guardian angel is watching over you i not at all i have never thought of him and yet i am not without religion in the first place people who have none are like animals and then one cannot go straight without religion it is impossible exactly that's just it said maurice his eyes on the violet stripes of his flowerless pajamas when one has one's guardian angel one does not even think about him and when one has lost him one feels very lonely so you miss this well the fact is oh yes yes you miss him well my dear the loss of such a guardian angel as that is no great matter no no he is not worth much that arcady of yours on that famous day while you were out getting him some clothes he was ever so long fastening my dress and i certainly felt his hand well at any rate don't trust him maurice dreamily lit a cigarette they spoke of the six days bicycle race at the winter villadrome and of the aviation show at the motor exhibition at brussels without experiencing the slightest amusement then they tried love-making as a sort of convenient pastime and succeeded in becoming moderately absorbed in it but at the very moment when she might have expected to play a part more in accordance with a mutual sentiment she exclaimed with a sudden start good heavens maurice how stupid of you to tell me that my guardian angel can see me you cannot imagine how uncomfortable the idea makes me 
Maurice, somewhat taken aback, recalled, a little roughly, his mistress's wandering thoughts. She declared that her principles forbade her to think of playing a round game with angels. Maurice was longing to see Arcady again, and had no other thought. He reproached himself for suffering him to depart without discovering where he was going, and he cudgelled his brains, night and day, thinking how to find him again. On the bare chance, he put a notice in the personal column of one of the big papers, running thus, Arcadi, come back to your Maurice. Day after day went by, and Arcadi did not return. One morning, at seven o'clock, Maurice went to St. Sulpice to hear Abbé Patouille say Mass. Then, as the priest was leaving the sacristy, he went up to him and asked to be heard for a moment. They descended the steps of the church together, and in the bright morning light walked round the fountain of the Quatre-Evêques. In spite of his troubled conscience, and the difficulty of presenting so extraordinary a case, with any degree of credibility, Maurice related how the angel Arcadi had appeared to him, and had announced his unhappy resolve to separate from him, and to stir up a new revolt of the spirits of glory. And young Desparvieux asked the worthy ecclesiastic how to find his celestial guardian again, since he could not bear his absence, and how to lead his angel back to the Christian faith. Abbé Patouille replied in a tone of affectionate sorrow that his dear child had been dreaming, that he took a morbid hallucination for reality, and that it was not permissible to believe that good angels may revolt. "'People have a notion,' he added, "'that they can lead a life of dissipation and disorder with impunity. They are wrong. The abuse of pleasure corrupts the intelligence.' and impairs the understanding. The devil takes possession of the sinner's senses, penetrating even to his soul. He has deceived you, Maurice, by a clumsy artifice. Maurice objected that he was not in any way a victim of hallucinations, that he had not been dreaming, that he had seen his guardian angel with his eyes and heard him with his ears. Monsieur l'abbé, he insisted, a lady who happened to be with me at the time, I need not mention her name, also saw and heard him. And moreover, she felt the angel's fingers straying, well, anyhow, she felt them. Believe me, Monsieur l'abbé, nothing could be more real, more positively certain than this apparition. The angel was fair, young, very handsome. His clear skin seemed, in the shadow, as if bathed in milky light. He spoke in a pure, sweet voice. "'That alone, my child,' the abbé interrupted quickly, "'proves you were dreaming. According to all the demonologies, bad angels have a hoarse voice, which grates like a rusty lock, and even if they did contrive to give a certain look of beauty to their faces, they cannot succeed in imitating the pure voice of the good spirits. This fact, attested by numerous witnesses, is established beyond all doubt. But, Monsieur l'abbé, I saw him. 
I saw him sit down, stark naked, in an armchair on a pair of black stockings. What else do you want me to tell you? The Abbé Patouille appeared in no way disturbed by this announcement. I say once more, my son, he replied, that these unhappy illusions, these dreams of a deeply troubled soul, are to be ascribed to the deplorable state of your conscience. I believe, moreover, that I can detect the particular circumstance that has caused your unstable mind thus to come to grief. During the winter, in company with Monsieur Sariette and your uncle Gaetan, you came, in an evil frame of mind, to see the chapel of the holy angels in this church, then undergoing repair. As I observed on that occasion, it is impossible to keep artists too closely to the rules of Christian art. They cannot be too strongly enjoined to respect holy writ and its authorized interpreters. Monsieur Eugène Delacroix did not suffer his fiery genius to be controlled by tradition. He brooked no guidance, and here in this chapel he has painted pictures which in common parlance we call lurid, compositions of a violent, terrible nature, which, far from inspiring the soul with peace, quietude, and calm, plunge it into a state of agitation. In them the angels are depicted with wrathful countenances. Their features are somber and uncouth. One might take them to be Lucifer and his companions meditating their revolt. Well, my son, it was these pictures, acting upon a mind already weakened and undetermined by every kind of dissipation, that have filled it with the trouble to which it is at present a prey but maurice would have none of it oh no monsieur l'abbé he cried it is not eugene delacroix's pictures that have been troubling me i didn't so much as look at them i am completely indifferent to that kind of art well then my son believe me there is no truth no reality in any of the story you have just related to me your guardian angel has certainly not appeared to you. But, Abbé, replied Maurice, who had the most absolute confidence in the evidence of the senses, I saw him tying up a woman's shoelaces and putting on the trousers of a suicide. And stamping his feet on the asphalt, Maurice called as witnesses to the truth of his words the sky, the earth, all nature, the towers of St. Sulpice the walls of the great seminary, the fountain of the Cotrevec, the public lavatory, the cabman's shelter, the taxis and motor buses shelter, the trees, the passers-by, the dogs, the sparrows, the flower-seller and her flowers. The abbé made haste to end the interview. All this is error, falsehood, and illusion, my child, said he. You are a Christian. Think as a Christian. A Christian does not allow himself to be seduced by empty shadows. Faith protects him against the seduction of the marvelous. He leaves credulity to freethinkers. There are credulous people for you, freethinkers. There is no humbug they will not swallow. 
but the Christian carries a weapon which dissipates diabolical illusions, the sign of the cross. Reassure yourself, Maurice, you have not lost your guardian angel. He still watches over you. It lies with you not to make this task too difficult, nor too painful for him. Good-bye, Maurice. The weather is going to change, for I feel a burning in my big toe. And Abbé Patouille went off with his breviary under his arm, hobbling along with a dignity that seemed to foretell a mitre. That very day, Arcadi and Zita were leaning over the parapet of La Butte, gazing down on the mist and smoke that lay floating over the vast city. "'Is it possible,' said Arcadi, "'for the mind to conceive all the pain and suffering that lie pent within a great city? It is my belief that if a man succeeded in realizing it, the weight of it would crush him to the earth.' "'And yet,' answered Zita, "'every living being in that place of torment is enamored of life. It is a great enigma.' Unhappy, ill-fated while they live, the idea of ceasing to be is, nevertheless, a horror to them. They look not for solace in annihilation. It does not even bring them the promise of rest. In their madness they even look upon nothingness with terror. They have peopled it with phantoms. Look you at these pediments, these towers and domes and spires, that pierce the mist and rear on high their glittering crosses. Men bow in adoration before the demiurge who has given them a life that is worse than death, and a death that is worse than life. Zita was for a long time lost in thought. At length she broke the silence, saying, There is something, Arcadi, that I must confess to you. It was no desire for a purer justice or wiser laws that hurried ethereal earthward. Ambition, a taste for intrigue, the love of wealth and honor, all these things made heaven, with its calm, unbearable to me, and I longed to mingle with the restless race of men. I came, and by an art unknown to nearly all the angels, I learned how to fashion myself a body which, since I could change it as the fancy seized me, to whatever age and sex I would, has permitted me to experience the most diverse and amazing of human destinies. A hundred times I took a position of renown among the leaders of the day, the lords of wealth and princes of nations. I will not reveal to you, Arcadi, the famous names I bore. Know only that I was preeminent in learning, in the fine arts, in power, wealth, and beauty, among all the nations of the world. At last it was but a few years since, as I was journeying in France, under the outward semblance of a distinguished foreigner, I chanced to be roaming at evening through the forest of Montmorency, when I heard a flute unfolding all the sorrows of heaven. The purity and sadness of its notes rent my very soul. Never before had I hearkened to aught so lovely. My eyes were wet with tears, my bosom full of sobs, as I drew near and beheld, on the skirts of a glade, 
an old man like to a fawn blowing on a rustic pipe it was nectaire i cast myself at his feet imprinted kisses on his hands and on his lips divine and fled away from that day forth conscious of the littleness of human achievements weary of the tumult and the vanity of earthly things ashamed of my vast and profitless endeavors and deciding to seek out a loftier aim for my ambition i looked upwards towards my skyey home and vowed i would return to it as a deliverer i rid myself of titles name wealth friends the horde of sycophants and flatterers and as zita the obscure set to work in indigence and solitude to bring freedom into heaven and i said arcady i too have heard the flute of nectaire but who is this old gardener who can thus woo from a rude wooden pipe notes that are so moving and so beautiful you will soon know answered zita end of chapter 15